0: Hello, and welcome to Lucky, episode number 7 of the Karma Sense Wellness Foodcast. I'm your host, Davey H., and this is the Biscuit episode. Thank you to Jake and Elwood for that intro. This week we celebrate National Biscuit Month. The biscuit, at least the American version... The Brits think a cookie is a biscuit. Anyway, the biscuit is having a renaissance. There are more gourmet restaurants hawking biscuits than you can shake a stick at, which doesn't really sound like a good use of time, if you ask me. In this episode, I interview Barbara Mancini. Barbara took a risk by opening a gourmet restaurant of her own in a time and place that was resistant to that sort of thing. In the process, she saw the world change before her eyes, and she was a catalyst. After the interview, Barbara helps me figure out who among the many entries within walking distance of where we both live has the best biscuit around. It turns out to be harder than you'd think. But before we meet Barbara, I'm going to rant. Today's September 23rd, 2016. Happy White Chocolate Day, and Happy Great American Pot Pie Day. You mediocre American pot pies, you don't get a day. While we're at it, Happy National Bourbon Heritage Month. California Wine Month, Chicken Month, Honey Month, Mushroom, Papaya, Potato, Rice, Whole Grains, Wild Rice, all the carbs. You get a month. You get a month. You get a month. Oh, and I guess on days other than White Chocolate and Pot Pie Month, Happy Childhood Obesity Awareness Month.
1: How about a nice
0: chocolate chicken pot pie then? (laughs) In the month of September alone, there are 47 National Food Days. That's more days than there are in the month of September. Yes, almost every day of the year has at least one national, insert name of something people stick in their mouth here, day. Someone sits around and comes up with these things. Who are these people? He said, doing the worst Seinfeld impression ever. Well, some of these days are the result of the cooperation of our legislative and executive branches of government coming together and doing the work of the people. They create and sign bills because apparently the lack of recognition of Schnitzel September 9th, is a matter of national import. Sometimes, believe it or not, Congress and the president can't come to agreement. Still, the president can unilaterally create a food day through proclamation. Ronald Reagan, the best president ever, according to some, used to do it all the time. He created National Catfish Day, June 15th, and both National Ice Cream Month, July, and Day, July 14th, which is also Casey Poe's birthday. You know, Casey Poe from Con Air, one of the best worst movies ever. President Obama has done very little in this area of food-related proclamations. Thanks, Obama. Most of these days are the result of food marketing schemes. The USDA is often urged to promote a business such as the laudable National Fruit and Vegetable Month, which is in June. I guess they do that to balance National Candy Month, which is also in June. When the government fails to act on behalf of the people, these important occasions emerge from the grassroots efforts of our citizenry the citizens of big food companies, that is, you're not going to convince me that National Cheese Doodle Day, March 5th, or National Gummy Worm Day, July 15th, are the result of anything other than the efforts of the snack food lobby. If you study the lists, and sadly that's the sort of thing I do, you find some major injustices. September 2nd is National Blueberry Popsicle Day. August 26th is Cherry Popsicle Day. Grape and Orange? NEVER GET A DAY! He said, keeping it old school this time with the worst red buttons imitation ever. The creamsicle? August 14th. The fudgesicle? Nope. Can't we all just get along? In the end, you may be surprised to hear that I'm not against this sort of flummery. I just wish there were a whole lot more national fruit and vegetable days and a whole lot less national junk food days. July 21st. I'd like to welcome Barbara Mancini. She's a bit of a legend in these parts. About 30 years ago, she and her husband took a risk in what was generally considered a tough neighborhood to open up a gourmet bakery and cafe, where she sold cakes, omelets, sandwiches, soups, and of course, biscuits. Over the years, Barbara watched the neighborhood change from a place you drive through with your windows closed to a destination of great food, boutiques, and other amenities. Barbara agreed to talk to us today about that experience, and I want to thank you, Barbara, for giving us those great meals and for being here today.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure. Barbara, to, to get started, it'd be nice to know uh, what your background is and what inspired you to open a restaurant in the Delray neighborhood and what the neighborhood was like.
1: Well, we moved back here back in 1988, so I'm here a long time in Delray. And so um, we had moved from, I was in New York and my husband was living in Chicago and we decided to come back to Washington. And at that time, when we came back to Washington, I said, you know, I really didn't want to go back to working office jobs and being in sales and things like that. I had always liked to bake, and I used to bring a lot of things into the offices. You know, you'd bake them at home, and everybody always enjoyed them. So when we moved back here, I didn't have to really worry about uh, supporting us, so I went and worked in a variety of little places, delis and whatnot, and I wound up at Alexandria Pastry Shop as a... In turn, when they had first opened, and I started out doing cookies and things like that. Learned a lot there, and worked at Bittersweet for a little while with Jody um, in the kitchen, and that was a lot of fun. I loved working there, but I just loved doing it. So little by little, and that was the, the beginning of when the coffee houses were just starting up in D.C. This is like 25 years ago, 30 years ago. And so I had a friend in the business who had asked me if I knew anyone, could I help, whatever, because a lot of these places were looking for wholesale bakery goods to sell in their coffee shops. And that was kind of the spur on to how to get started. So I started doing more or less wholesale bake- baking, and I started out of the house doing, and I had a handful of accounts, and my husband helped me at that time. and I would do the baking, and he would do either the wrapping or making the deliveries downtown, and then it got to be a little too much. So he went out and found a space in, on Eisenhower Avenue. Now, remember, this is 1992. There was nothing on Eisenhower Avenue. So he found a little trailer that had housed, I don't know, a little sandwich shop. But everyone was complaining about it because it wasn't very good. And the landlord wanted somebody a little better there because that was the draw. Again, in 1992, there wasn't anything on Eisenhower. And people would have to get in their cars and go to Old Town to get something to eat. Anyway, he wanted to upgrade it a little bit, so he chose us. And we got in there. We got our foot in the door. In that little trailer. And my husband built on a little bit and, you know, I did my wholesale baking out of there and we made the retail as small as we could because I was primarily wholesale. But the retail took off because everybody loved the sandwiches that I made and the soups and the, the salads that we would put out on a daily basis and we became very popular there.
0: So what, what around what year was that? That was
1: 92. We opened 92. January 20th, 1992. Okay. We started the same year Clinton did. <laughs> yeah. So, um... You know we worked hard there. Uh, that was '92, and my husband wanted to expand. He w- did want a couple of shops, but you know, he couldn't find something that was suitable. Now I live up here, and um, on Monroe, and we would be coming back and forth into the neighborhood. And one day we were sitting at the light, and my building that's presently mine now had been for sale forever. It was on the market for a long, long time, and we passed by it years of, I don't know how long it was on the market, but a long time, and it just never occurred, and then one day we're sitting at the light, and he looks up, and he says, you know, that would be a great second location, and that's how we've got this be- uh, building on Mount Vernon Avenue.
0: Yeah, what was the building before?
1: It was a piano store. Piano store. Gordon Keller Piano Store, which people come in and to this day still and say, I remember playing pianos there, and...
0: At one point, it was a Safeway, too. Yeah, before that, and it
1: was something else before that. But, you know, a lot of the old-timers knew it as a Safeway. That was obviously well before my time uh, coming into the neighborhood. And so, you know, we negotiated with uh, Keller and bought the building, and my husband renovated it. He did primarily most of the work with subcontractors out there.
0: A beautiful commercial kitchen.
1: Yeah. Well, I had been doing a lot of wholesale baking because that, again, was the growth spurt of the— of all the coffee houses. They had started just around the same time, so there were so many of them in D.C. that I could go, and uh, I also did a lot of catering. So I needed a big kitchen. We did a lot of catering out of that kitchen, too.
0: Did you go in with the intent of just being commercial, or did you think you'd have the storefront, too?
1: In this location? Yeah, uh, Yeah. The, the idea was to have a, um, a retail. Okay. We wanted a retail operation out of that, too. The store was big enough for it. And who else
0: was operating in the neighborhood at this point?
1: Well, St. Elmo's had opened up, um, I think, in April of 96. We opened in November of 96. Okay. So it was really head-in-head, head, St. Elmo's and me. And there was nobody. There was, you know, the old, old kind of place. There was nothing else, the snuggery, yeah. if you really want to go back. But, and the old bar, an old bar where Tecara Poblano is now, uh-huh. that was an old bar. My God, the old-timers would hang out there. I was in there once. That was scary, you know, because the neighborhood wasn't so hot. I'm here since 88. But you had a lot of the old-timers back then, so when we opened, it wasn't a big fanfare for us to, you know, the people weren't too welcoming, right? you know, because we were just on the cusp of changing it and making it a little bit more gourmet-oriented, and I'm from New York, and I put in a lot of my own little uh, flares, and um, right. some people, no, nah, we, don't, we don't need it. It's too expensive. You know, these were the old-timers. Right. You know, so... The welcoming wasn't as nice as I would have liked it, you know, when we first opened, but we won them over after a while.
0: The way you really did develop the business was to continue working and welcoming the locals, and not. The, oh well, it, it was constantly changing. The Locals you know, were churning too.
1: The locals, it was changing, right. you know. By we, we opened in '96. I guess by you know four years into it, by 2000, you know, you started seeing the rapid change of uh, the demographics of the people and the development and the different restaurants that started to come in. Um, Evening Star started shortly thereafter. I think Firefly started okay. about maybe five years later, you know, I don't know all the, the dates of all the, the different ones that came, but now there's, you know, it's one run after another that are coming into the area.
0: So what did you enjoy about working here in this neighborhood?
1: Uh, my store oh, I, I just love to cook and bake I went into business to cook and bake you know I didn't go into the business to make a million dollars right. or you know to do it as a business so to speak I wanted to cook and bake so you I loved, loved the it job. I you loved just it just the job yeah I love to bake yeah um, it's just that the bigger you get the more successful you became you you kind of switch over into more management right. skills which I didn't kind of sign up for I was forced to into it with the passing right. of my husband yeah. so um, I was kind of Forced into that role a little bit, you know, and uh, but my strong suits are cooking and baking.
0: Right. Well, and and from our uh, our return into this uh, area, it seems like your staff is very loyal and. and, uh, I got lucky. I was real
1: lucky um, because I had uh, some of them from the beginning, you Uh know, that were there with me for 20 years. Most of them, 15 years, 10 years, 12 years. You know, which is rare in the restaurant Absolutely. business. Absolutely, know? So it was a good group. There was only a couple of positions that, uh, you know, were revolving door. But, you know, I had a high of a staff of about 33 at the, at the height, you know. And then right before I retired, it was about 12, I think.
0: So you despite know? your reluctance to manage, it's a testament to your management ability that in such a high turnover business. They,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was there all the time. It's not like I left them. I was there seven days a week. Yeah, that's true. You know? So I was kind of on them all the time. And I, I, was in the, I was hands-on. So I was in the kitchen from day one until the last day. I was in the kitchen, okay. you know, yeah. watching it and seeing what was going on.
0: And so you, you uh, watch the neighborhood change quite a bit I uh, have. Uh, over yes. the years. Yes, okay. because
1: as I said, not only do I work here and own a building here, I also... Own a home here, right. and I'm here since '88. We have the house,
0: and it, it's gone from mostly, I'll, I'll say, a lower middle class, working class kind of neighborhood to more of a white collar, uh,
1: hipster. Yes, most definitely. Um, I have seen those changes. Kind of yes, because when we first opened, you used to see, you know, people drinking open cans of beer and whatever right. across the street, sitting in the in the hallways and whatever the doorways. Right. You know, and the police would. Kind of chase them away, or right. won't go talk to them. And I'm from New York, so that never bothered me. You know, never bothered me. So um, you don't see that now. You, know, you see a lot of growth and a lot of development. Prices are skyrocketing in Delray. Absolutely. Um, so it's it's kept its its uh, value, and so I'm very happy about that. Okay. But I had a lot of old timers. You know what? What sets me, what makes me think is like old timers, the people that to me were here from the. 40s and 50s, I guess. I don't know if that's true, but maybe 50s and 60s. But I just remember like old-timers that came in that weren't used to a store that made, that was more of a gourmet store at the time, even though by today's standards, I wouldn't be considered that. But when we first started, we were one of the few. This was long before Panera, long before Whole Foods, long before all of them, you know? And uh, so they just weren't quite used to that. You know, I used to remember um, I would bring in... the crusty Italian sub rolls for my subs and my Italian subs and things like that. And I got complaint after complaint because they wanted the soft soft, and I refused, you know, that's not what I knew. I wasn't refused to soft and soggy and, you know, little by little, you know, the neighborhood changed and, and the new people came in with a little bit more, I can't say sophisticated taste because my food wasn't so sophisticated, but in those days... I guess so. so. Yeah. Right, right. I guess certainly.
0: So. Certainly, with the kind of New York and Italian influence yes. in in white bread and mayonnaise, Alexander. Exactly. You know,
1: southern, more southern.
0: Right. Right.
1: So yes, most definitely. So um, that was a well, that was a learning experience because again, growing in, up in New York, there's delis on every corner. Exactly. And everybody prospers because that's just where you go to right. get a good sub. Let's say. You know, I remember when I first moved down here the first time. It was I took a job in Old Town, and that was 1980. And the first day, I asked my coworker, "You know, bring me to a deli for lunch. This is 1980." And I wanted to get a turkey sandwich. He brought me to 7-Eleven because there were no not there was no delis. And in those days, I didn't remember going to Georgetown Bagels. I'd have to go to M Street to get a bagel right. because there were no yeah. bagels. So it. Let alone pizza. There was no pizza oh, just, to be found anywhere.
0: We were lamenting last night, you can't get a slice of pizza no, you here. Can't, you, know, that, you know, we had many
1: talks about that when we were looking to open up something before even Eisenhower. And my husband said, well, what do you want to do? And, you know, the deli and the baking was like number one. But number two is I wanted to open up a, a pizza place on by King Street uh-huh. where you could stand and grab a slice right. of pizza. Like they did in New York by right. the subway. You know, it's just that you don't have the volume of people that you do to sell it by the slice. Right. You know, so, um, but that was high on the list of something I wanted to do.
0: Yeah, we missed that. Yeah, to get a slice of pizza and a Coke or something. You mentioned standing firm on your your sub-roll texture. Yes,
1: yes. I mean, eventually I did bring uh, the softer ones in, but not by, that was a hard fight. I mean, I still had the crusty ones and you could order either one. But it was a hard, it was a hard struggle in the beginning. I just got, not complaints, I just got criticism about it. You know that they were so used to the soft,
0: chewy, yeah, insipid,
1: (laughs) yeah, that they used for the steak and cheese and things like that. You know, yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, you need that crusty bread to absorb all the oil and vinegar and, and. yeah. And, the, and the moisture from the lettuce and yeah. tomatoes.
0: Where else would you have said that you kind of put your foot down and, and didn't want to compromise despite any kind of clientele pressure?
1: I don't think there, I don't, that's the only one that comes to mind right off the bat. Okay. Um, you know, there were many, I'm sure there are other things because, you know, I, I was perceived as a little bit more difficult because I wanted it my way. You right. know, this is my store and this is what I how I wanted it. Bake it or cook it or make it or serve it, you know. So when people say, "Well, we don't want it like this," and it's like, "Well, this is—it's already made," you know, the salads are made this way, and this is it. Not too, too much. That's like the biggest one. Mm. That's the biggest one.
0: We always appreciated your um, comments on social media about some of the behavior changes that you had to experience from from customers over time. Oh
1: yeah. Um, well, you know, I don't take too much grief from customers because. You know, it's a hard job, and it's my store, and I just feel as though the customer isn't always right in my book. You know, some of them can be rude, some of them can be sloppy, some of them can be messy, some of them let the kids run wild. You know, so I've had many a word with a lot of customers on that, and uh, because it's just it's not right. You know, it's a it's a you know eight dollar sandwich, a seven dollar sandwich. So there's expectations on on what you're purchasing and how you should behave within the store
0: well and it's not just that you're creating an environment for your loyal customers too that have a specific oh, set of expectations I many customers you know just they
1: wanted a little bit quiet and since right. I wasn't so kids friendly right. I wasn't like one of the kid friendly places in Delray and a lot of the other customers enjoyed coming to my store because of that
0: so here's a place where where I think you didn't change your values any, and I always appreciated. You never had Wi-Fi in your store. No,
1: I never wanted it. I, you know, I didn't want people sitting around for long periods of time. Uh-huh. I felt as though one, you should talk to the people you're with, but I also didn't couldn't afford. That's you know that's expensive real estate. Those chairs and tables out there that you have to buy something other than a Turnover. cup of coffee, and you need a few turnovers. So. Yeah, I got a lot of flack on that, but...
0: You, you stood know, to your, you stood I, to your I, conviction. It just never
1: bothered me. Well, you're here for 20 minutes, a half hour. Right. You know, deal with it. So, right. uh, you know, now if I were to do it over, probably have it. Of oh, the things
0: that you can contr- could control, then, what may you have done differently? You just mentioned. Maybe oh,
1: maybe the five, maybe, maybe. You know, but I'm not there, so the stress isn't there any longer. So looking back, it's a lot easier to say what I could have done because I don't have the stress any longer. Right. You know? Um, could have done, I probably would have brought a, a manager on duty, let's say, or maybe an executive chef. Um, so there's always something that you could have done differently.
0: Okay. All right. How do you feel like you kind of evolved with the neighborhood, as a, just personally?
1: Personally? With the neighborhood. Yeah. I've grown older. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Personally, no. Um, um, There's a lot of people here that do a lot for Delray. They work tired. They work endless hours making things happen in Delray, whether it be Order on the Avenue or many. I take no credit for that. What they do give me credit for is being one of the first people to open up a restaurant. So they do give me that. But I I don't take any credit for any of the growth or development of how they've made Delray prosper (laughs) and how well they've uh, made it happen and how popular they've made it become. Um, I just see the changes from, uh, as I said, the old timers to the, the new, the uppies and the young kids with two, fam- two kids now. And, right. Uh, you know, dual incomes perhaps, too, you know, that like can now put affords of these houses that are here in Delray. Mm-hmm. I'm sad to see a lot of the smaller houses being turned into these McMansions. You know, it loses the character of Delray, you know, and some of them take up the entire lot. Uh, so, you know, that kind of thing. Those the, but I'm the old-timer now, you know, so those are, you're always going to have that. The right. new coming in and making things better, and, you know, the older ones complain.
0: You made the decision to ultimately sell your business. And no,
1: well, I retired. I closed the business. Okay. I kept the store, and I, I rented it out the shop to another uh, group of people who wanted to make the neighborhood grow again and change right. and bring something new that I wouldn't do. It's not my kind of food, but it's the demographic of Del Rey now kind of food.
0: And so it's meeting the changing, it's the mean, exactly, changing environment. Exactly, they are. Of, and it was time for me, and Del I was happy Ray.
1: with the, that decision about ending it. I have done it 25 years in the restaurant business. is a very hard business physically and mentally. Physically, mm-hmm. it's very, very hard.
0: Right. And uh, you being kind of one of the pioneers into starting the business in this neighborhood, competition has increased. Did Probably
1: Yes, I mean, when I look now, you know, there's another place coming, I'm hearing, and now uh, Dolce and Bean, I think it's going to be called, right. and I see the Happy Tart is going to expand. I wish them well, but the problem that I'm finding is that everyone and their brother is doing coffee and desserts, so to speak. And biscuits. And Well, I guess maybe biscuits, but... I mean, coffee, uh, you know, and it's 95% of it swings coffee, and I'm not knocking it because Mark has done a phenomenal job with his place, but everybody, you can't sell the same thing on every, on every, I just don't see, I think something's going to have to give at one point. I think something has to give because there's only, you know, when I started out 25 years ago, let's say there was 20,000 people within a mile radius, there's still 20,000 people, you know, except for the development over at Potomac Yards, there's still 20,000 people, we had two restaurants in Del Rey, now you've got 15, Right. so I don't see where that, you know, so unless it's a destination becoming a destination spot. Um, the thing that I used to notice about my store being in a neighborhood versus when I was on Eisenhower is that this is a neighborhood. So during the week, Monday through Friday, everybody leaves. So unless, the one thing I would probably do different perhaps from the beginning is do beer and wine and do something at nighttime. But remember, I owned the building. I didn't have to rent the building. My mortgage was set. I had X number of dollars per month I had to meet. And it never changed from day one until the day I retired. My mortgage payment was the same versus rents that are escalating at a fast pace here in Delray. Del right. So, you know, you got to do a, a lot of coffee and donuts to meet that, that, more, that rent every month. So right. I wish everybody well, but it was time for me to leave because, yeah, the competition was getting... It was getting tough, and also I was older. You need—you—it's a thirty-something game. You know, right. you have to be young, you have to be strong, you have to be on it, you have to be constant, you have to be on your game, you have to do it 110 percent every day. Right. It's every day. There's no goofing off in the restaurant business. So, because someone else would take up that slack right away.
0: Well, you took a—you took an early risk on the neighborhood and in investing in the neighborhood and, and developing the property business. Yes and other businesses have been able to ride in on the coattails of... Yeah, they're also, I
1: think they also bring something different. Sure. I also consider it sometimes, you know, because it's easy to... Crit- I can criticize myself, you know, but it's easy for me to think they've done a better job. You know, even though people say, oh, no, you did a great job. You know, I look at them and saying, wow, they've done a really good job, you know. But I really don't know how internally how, how they are doing, you know.
0: It has a neighborhood housing situation, it, the houses become more and more expensive. As you said, the rents in the commercial properties become more and more expensive. It makes it more difficult to run a business like what you've been running. I, yes. You didn't have that challenge because you I, I, weren't renting. Right, right. Um, we run the risk of maybe only being able to support uh, chain-type restaurants at some well, point. Well, you know,
1: they've done a, a fine job of, uh, you know keeping the chains out, although Walgreens is here now. Um, I'm not adverse to having chains in here. I'm not crazy about them because everything's the same. I prefer to eat at mom and pop type establishments because I think they're unique and they bring a lot of different things to the table. Um, But that's what's going to happen. The landlord's going to price. When I was negotiating with my group that's in there now, I didn't want to price it to where it probably was at that time. Now it's about probably a year and a half that we signed with them um, because I felt as though I wanted to bring it down a little bit, wanted to give them a fair advantage because I didn't want it flipping. Right. I didn't want it taking it over. You know, in two years, let's say they couldn't make it because the rent is the biggest nut you have to crack. You know, right. after the salaries, let's say. Right. You know, and it's up there. You know, that's right. a big building. That's a big piece of land. You know, so I, I, I priced it where I thought it would be manageable for yeah. them. Um, and give me the return that I was looking for.
0: Okay. As we bring this to conclusion, anything else you want to... Uh,
1: no, don't Ray, I'm just hoping it keeps going. I think with the development that's going in Potomac West and Potomac Yards, I don't see a slowdown. You know, someone told me there's a 20-year cycle. I started 20 years ago, you know, because they're saying it's on a right. downturn. I don't see that happening when I because they're saying that there are a, a, some storefronts up, but there's very a lot of reasons maybe the landlords are you know just asking for too much, but there's a lot of new growth that's happening on the avenue, and I do like to see that the mixed-use development. Right. And uh, but I hope that they just keep all the quaint-looking shops, the quaint quirky architecture that we have, and not make everything new the way they have over at Potomac Yards because it's all cookie-cutter to me over there. Right. You know.
0: And uh, what do you want to most be doing with your retirement at this point? Oh,
1: God, I don't know, but I just love being home. I just That's love good.
0: it. That's good. Yeah. You still cooking?
1: I'm not as much. You know, I do cook. People call me from time to time. I'll, I'll help some people out. But um, no, I've taken, it's only not even a year since I've retired. So right. uh, I'm still, I think, decompressing from the 25 years. So we'll see what happens when the winter comes. And to see what, what plans, because the summer took care of itself. There's always something to do. So we'll see what happens come the winter, okay. if anything's right. going to change.
0: Well, thanks, Barbara, for sitting in and, and talking to us about the, good. developing a, a business in a neighborhood that's uh, just evolving. For and for it's for the strong. It's not
1: for the weak of heart, <laughs> okay. that's for sure.
0: And uh, we'll be talking again soon. Very good. Thank thanks.
1: you. Dear Dave, you're a big and famous comedian well i'm not sure
0: about that but it's mentioned here in the letter so what do you want it says a biscuit (laughs) and it comes to us from andrew curvyette uh gee andrew now that you bring it up you know uh yeah as a matter of fact i i do want a biscuit turns out there are about half a dozen places to get biscuits within walking distance of where i live In honor of National Biscuit Month, and in recognition of Barbara's encyclopedic knowledge of baking, I thought it only appropriate to try a blind taste test. Let's see who has the best biscuit in the neighborhood. What I've done here is I've gone from restaurant to restaurant in Delray. And and, we're doing
1: a blind test.
0: And we're doing a blind test of six different biscuits from six different places uh, that I procured them in in Delray. And... Barbara being uh, one of the pioneers of the neighborhood is going to help us decide who has the best biscuits in Delray. Lovely. So what we've done is it is blind. We've marked each one so we know and because Barbara is such a big fan of Pokémon, we've mapped each biscuit to a <laughs> Pokémon <laughs> to a Pokémon character. How would you rate them relative to Appearance. Which ones look the best to
1: you? Uh, This one right here, which one is that? I can't see that. That one uh, one looks really good. That's nice and big. Now, some of the restaurants on the Avenue, remember, make biscuits to make them into sandwiches. Right. So that's a little different technique if they are, just to make them a little, not tougher, but a little bit more um, substantial so that they can hold whatever filling that the restaurant is planning on using. Um, A lot of some of the restaurants are just going to offer them to their guests for honey and butter. So they're going to be more flaky. That's like eating a uh, not that it's raw, you know, just in its its normal state. Right. You know, because now biscuit sandwiches are the, are the big craze. You know, right. When I started out, it was uh, bagel sandwiches. You know, everybody and their brother was doing bagel. Now it's like biscuit sandwiches. But I wanted to just go over a couple of things before we taste, so that your people, your listeners, can hear what um, what constitutes a good biscuit according to well, grandmas of the south. On up to the professional okay. chefs, so you you know you have different types of flours. Most of the uh, the southern cooks use self rising flours, which is a pre mixed blend to include blend of hard and soft wheat flours along with the leavening agents, baking soda, baking powder, whatever combination they're going to use, and it makes for a perfect rise on the biscuit. So some of these obviously are, I can't I won't be able to tell what flours they're using, but you can tell by the rise. Also, you can tell by how thick they're they're uh, cutting them. You know, this is a substantial one. I can guess as to who's making them now, only because of what they're known for in the, right. in the neighborhood, let's say. Um, the second and the biggest ingredient probably is butter or any of your fats. You can use lard, you can use butter, you can use shortening. But whatever you use has to be ice cold. Some of the the grandmas would freeze their butters. Some of them would shave their butter so that they get these flaky, uh, strands of butter before working it some of them when you're adding your butter or your lard to your flour they have uh, several methods to making uh, biscuits, some of them snap the butter in, literally between their fingers wow. in like a snapping motion to get that butter in, and what you're trying to do is develop layers right. in, the, in the mix make it um, some of them use a fork some of them use two knives, some of them use a pastry cutter, whatever you want to do you really don't want to use your hands because your hands are going to melt the butter as you're working it So you want to try and keep that butter as cold as possible. Um, Some cooks use water, ice water. I like buttermilk as the base for the liquid in in the biscuit. I like it because it gives it a little bit of a tang. I just love baking with buttermilk in any cake or any form. Most, some people roll out the dough. I used to roll it out and use the first ones only. The scraps are made, baked off and made into... Uh, cobbler toppings or shortcake okay. toppings, because if you were to re-roll it, I'm not saying that these aren't, but if you were to re-roll it, you're toughening up the gluten, and that's right. what makes for a tougher biscuit. You want it as flaky, as light, as handled as least amount of time as possible. You don't want to mix it. We used to be known for our scones, because I would make small batch scones. A scone is basically is a sweet biscuit, right. and we made scones daily, and uh, the biggest key was keeping that dough cold, and also not over mixing it. You don't want to over mix it because that's going to toughen up that gluten. Some bakers scoop it out with an ice cream scoop and then one that gets exact sizes but also you're not touching it. So those are like the, the variety of, of methods that most of the home cooks or professional pastry chefs will use when creating their biscuits. Ice cold butter, a blended flour, and ice milk or uh, buttermilk or water and just mm-hmm. loosely uh, mixing it together. So, did we want to start tasting?
0: Sure, we, we can use whatever sequence you okay, want, well, this and one's we'll, closest we'll to me. be looking for. Uh,
1: Anyone else gonna taste? Where a one to five
0: to? studio audience. Do you care to taste?
1: <laughs> All right, this is the first one I'm looking at. No.
0: Okay, the first one we're looking at is
1: Mankey. Oh, they're warm. It's got a traditional, you know, flaky dough. Mm-hmm. A little tough in my book. There's enough salt. I always tend to like them a little darker because to me that brings out the caramelization right. in it. You know, a crisper cookie is always better than an underdone cookie. Right. So this one being very light, we'll see what that one's like. The rest of them are, you know, cooked well in my right. book. Okay. This one, I, I, I kind of know maybe where this is coming from. Yeah, this is a ch- cheddar cheese, I think. Mm-hmm. It.
0: So this is Squirtle that we're trying. This
1: is more cake-like.
0: You can definitely taste the right. herbs and, yes. and the cheddar.
1: These are good. But the herbs are fresh. That's good.
0: Not out of a jar.
1: You're not eating any? My studio audience. Yeah, they're really... I had part of one for lunch. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah, this is a good one.
0: Charmander is next.
1: Oh, this is dense. This is dry. Now, we're eating them without butter because I feel as though that's... Cheating? Well, yeah. it's just so you can get the better flavor right. about what's dry. This is a, tri- a drier, harder biscuit. Uh, right. You know. We used to make hundreds of them when I worked at the National Gallery of Art. And as they're coming out of the oven, they got lathered in butter. And you mm-hmm. swap butter on them, dip them in butter. The it flavored
0: is, one is, can kind of stand on its own. That, yeah, and this one, you I find say, this
1: one to be a little dry. I find this one to be very good. And this one now, this one's undercooked.
0: This one is Jar Jar Binks. He's not a Pokemon. Oh. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm sure you're worried about that.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of butter in this one, but there's no way there's no...
0: It doesn't taste like much either.
1: You know, it tends to be, a, it's not flaky enough, it's not risen enough. I mean, to manhandle it, but I mean, okay. there's a lot of butter in the ear. Yeah. It's mm. cooked, it's, I think it needs to be cooked. I, I don't longer. know if they need more, the longer and uh, the leavening on it is off. Mm-hmm. She's not as puffed as she should be.
0: flavor's okay, but
1: yeah. The flavor's okay, it takes on an off taste yeah. at the end. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it takes on, which indicates to me sometimes that it's a pre-mix when it has that off taste. This one is very lightly done.
0: This is Matchamp.
1: This is made from scratch. These are good. Okay. I like these too. That was a good one too. And the last one is the big boy.
0: Yeah. That one is magicarp.
1: That's a big, big biscuit. Nicely done. Nice crumb. It mm-hmm. has a nice crumb to it. These are good too. They're flaky. Mm-hmm. It's hard to eat biscuits without butter, but that's what we're doing. These are good. They could cook a little bit longer for me. It brings out the flavour. Those are all good.
0: Okay, so as you think of it, which one
1: I think this one is my preference, my first one.
0: First one, Nanke. Mm-hmm. I oh. like
1: this one. I like the flavor on this. I don't necessarily like the look of it. This one had an off taste to it. This one was the dry one. And I like the cheddar cheese, but that's hard to compare because it does have the cheese and herbs in it, which right. really makes for a very tasty biscuit. Mm-hmm. Okay. This would be go great at Thanksgiving. Okay. Cut onions in it. You know, it's good. But it's more cake-like to me. So are you ready for the big reveal? I am.
0: Mankey is from Fireflies. Charmander. This is from Live Oak.
1: This is dry.
0: This is the new one. This is from the new place, Live Oak.
1: This is dense and dry.
0: Okay. The cheddar one is from Junction. Which is very good. Yeah, very good.
1: Mm -hmm. It's just Uh, hard to compare because it has those strong flavors in it.
0: Amazingly good for you. This is... Poppin' Fresh from Aldi Supermarket. Oh, <laughs> I
1: said that. you said
0: this tastes like a pre mixed biscuit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, this is from Aldi. It's the Poppin' Fresh.
1: That was a good throw in.
0: Wait, there's wait, more. Wait. This is Popeyes. The one you like the a, one you liked was Popeyes.
1: They get great reviews on this. They're a good biscuit. They're good. Yes. And this is Stomping, stomping Ground. ground. Yeah, yeah, and I kind of knew that because of how big it is it's for their nice. sandwiches.
0: What we learned. Because they're all very different, they all have their own personalities. Right. That we can't go wrong going to Stomping Ground, Junction, Junction, or Popeyes if you're looking for a good biscuit.
1: Right, Fireflies. That was the one? One? Yeah, the, this was put out yeah, a good one too. Right,
0: Fireflies is really good. They all have different personalities. It's tough to say who's the best, but certainly Poppin' Fresh from all these
1: is not. Very well, good. thank you very much. My pleasure. Now we get to eat them. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. With now butter, we get to have them with butter. Mm-hmm. With butter and honey mm-hmm. and whatever you want. You know, what very they good. need is fried chicken. And that's it for another episode of the FoodCast. This week
0: we learned about the phenomenon in National Food Days, the hard work of managing a restaurant and changing times and that there's no such thing as the best biscuit, because every biscuit has its purpose. I have to say that it's no coincidence that instead of the Poppin' Fresh biscuit getting assigned a proper Pokemon, it got Jar Jar Binks, the most hated character in the entire Star Wars canon. Congratulations to Fireflies, Junction, and Stomping Grounds for rising to the top. And although Live Oak didn't fare as well with their biscuit, they really are a great addition to our neighborhood. They have delicious food, and that includes the only proper pork roll sandwich in all of Virginia, and country fried steak, that's to die for. If you enjoy the foodcast, I really appreciate a review. Shoot it up on iTunes. And if you want any future topics covered, just send me an email and make a request. Thanks. Talk to you next week.